0: Welcome to the latest edition of the Quadcast. I am John McAlevey. I hope that this podcast will provide you with 30 to 45 minutes of OT and PT for your soul. I want to begin by thanking last week's guests, Doug Olson from the Challenged Athletes Foundation and six-time Ironman triathlon finisher, Glenn Hartrick. I have gotten some terrific comments from folks who listened and learned a ton about not only a worthy organization, but such a determined athlete. I wanted to let you know that my website has been remastered and now it looks like an actual real live website. I had no idea what I was doing when I put a rudimentary one together a ways back, but I learned, however, that to do things right, you have to pay the right person to do the trick. So I have done just that. And now I welcome you to log on to www.quadcast.org to see my new and improved, kind of snazzy, I think, big boy website. You will see that all of the pod hosts that carry the show are visible, so click away and listen to the program on any and all of them. Sunday, June 21 is fast approaching, and if you have not heard, I will be the featured guest on the Todd Leonard radio show. It is a broadcast that airs from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on WMTR-AM Radio 1250. Mr. Leonard's program is one that highlights people who are making a difference in their community, and I guess he feels that we are. My good friend Adam Bain was a classmate of Todd's growing up and told him about our show. So, if you are an early riser and can remember, grab yourself a bagel, switch on the show, and see how I do on the other side of the microphone. In preparing for today's show, one theme kept jumping out at me, and that is, a friend in need is a friend indeed. I learned that exactly after my injury, when friends and family from far and wide did anything and everything they could, not only for me, but my family. There were benefits on my behalf, and a fund was created, the John McAlevey Jr. Fund. My family and I could not thank everyone enough for helping us in our time of need. I am proud to say that the fund, which is a 501c3 nonprofit, has been paying for uninsured medical and physical costs for people who have endured spinal cord injuries for years. And over those years, we have provided regular wheelchairs, racing wheelchairs, wheelchair alterations, shower chairs, driving assessment and lessons, and countless hours of therapy sessions for many people. It is what you do. You pay it forward. I only wish that we could help more than we do. And it is with that in mind that I'm excited to speak with today's guest. He is a man who himself has been a spinal cord injury survivor and thriver for almost 33 years. And over that time, he has been a driving force and an amazing advocate for the disabled community. Not one to let any grass grow under his wheelchair tires, he has completed three New York City marathons, has a World Series ring, and has been known to skydive, among other things. However, his philanthropy is his calling card, having raised not only much-needed awareness for folks living with spinal cord injuries, but tremendous sums of money for individuals and the community at large. Mr. Alan T. Brown has had a remarkable life to date, and you will hear all about that right after these words from our sponsor. Is your shipping department slow and sluggish? When you're running a business, you know time is money. ShipLeap provides technology that can streamline your shipping environment, which will make your customers and employees happy. By using barcode scanning, label printing, and custom software, ShipLeap can make shipping a breeze. ShipLeap replaces old-fashioned software written in the 80s by the big carriers. ShipLeap can shop carrier rates on the spot and save you money. Take a leap of faith with ShipLeap. Contact us today for a free demo and no-commitment trial at ShipLeap.com. And welcome back to the show. Before we went to break, I summed up just a few of Alan's accomplishments. But reading through his bio, it is amazing to me how many business he has not only started, but projects he's also worked on. It is my pleasure to welcome the Director of Public Impact at the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, Mr. Alan T. Brown, to the program. Alan, thank you for not only what you do on behalf of our community, but for joining us here today on the Quadcast. Ah,
1: My pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Looking forward to this job. Looking forward to this job.
0: Great. You know, Alan, what I like to do usually when I begin my interviews is ask my guest to tell me a little bit about themselves before they had their spinal cord injury, because as we all know, these injuries do not define us. So who was Alan Brown before his accident? What was he doing? And what were some of his goals and aspirations?
1: So Alan Brown uh, was a boy that grew up in New York City on the Upper East Side. Um, If you happen to watch the TV show, The Jeffersons, that is the building that I grew up in on 85th Street and 3rd Avenue.
0: Moving Uh, on up,
1: huh? Moving on up. My mom still lives in that apartment. Uh, So grew up in the city. Um, You know, I was an athlete. I was the middle of of, uh, two other brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. So I was the problem middle child. (laughs) Um, School was not my uh, forte. I went to, uh, Ramaz, which is Yeshiva in New York City until sixth grade. And then I went to Dwight into York Prep. So I kind of made my rounds, um, always, you know, having a, uh, good time living in New York. Central Park was my backyard. Uh, the New York Rangers was my life. I grew up on skates playing hockey, um, and it was, you know, that was kind of my life, uh. Loved going to summer camp, playing with my friends. I was an athlete. Uh, going out to Studio 54 when I was way too young and running around New York in the early 80s was mm. always interesting. Graduated high school in 1985. Uh, walked down the aisle with my best friend from high school named Human. Um That was in 1985. And that summer was actually the first time that I Got a little bit of a taste of spinal cord injury because unfortunately Danny was in a car accident that summer. He was a camp counselor and uh, he became a paraplegic. You know, so you... I remember getting the phone call um, when I was, uh, you know, that that summer right after, you know, we graduated high school and Danny uh, broke his back and uh, was in rehabilitation in New York City at the Rusk Institute with Dr. Racknason. Yes. And, um, I used to spend a lot of time down there with him, and I would help him out. And, um, you know, I went to college for a while. I played a little bit of hockey, and then I got a knee injury and went into the family business and uh, went away on vacation. And six weeks before I went out on a vacation, I had a fundraiser in New York City on the Upper West Side, and we raised $25,000 for spinal cord research.
0: That's on unbelievable. Of That's unbelievable. And then
1: six weeks later... I ended up at the Miami Project to cure paralysis after, uh, my accident, which was, um, you know, I got hit by a wave on January 2nd, mm-hmm.
2: 1988
1: mm-hmm. and I got washed up on shore and, uh, three people pulled me out. My friend Gil, uh, my friend David, and, uh, my friend Adam. And Adam is now a very well known individual. He is, uh, the ESPN sports football guru is Adam, Adam Schefter.
0: He's the so one that breaks he, all the the breaking news, right?
1: He's the breaking news. Yes. yes he, he's the happened king. To be there, and we become, you know, quite close. And he's been great to me and his whole community.
0: Alan, let's go back to your friend's injury. That was your first sort of foray into spinal cord injuries. How did that affect you as a young man, and and what did you and your friends do on his behalf? So
1: you know, you asked me. I mean, about me growing up, I you I grew up in an Orthodox home in New York, and I, you know, it was always brought up to, to to give back, to help others. Um, that's kind of the way that we grew up. That was our family. That's what my dad did, and that's what we did in our community. So it, I really didn't think very much of it as, as as opposed to that was my boy. It was my buddy, and I needed to be here, be there for him. And then I would. You know, we all at that point, everybody was going off to college. So, um, people were gone and then, you know, it was lonely for Danny. And I would try to make sure that people would come and visit him and so on. And, you know, we ended up going on and we still talk every day. And, um, but it was something where it was, it's just in my blood. It's kind of my part of my DNA and it's kind of what helps me do what I do now. And, it's been the fabric of what kind of helps me go forward to help others. Sure. And, 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 that, and that's what I, that's what
0: we do. You know, I've been calling, um, trying to give a theme to each one of my episodes, and this one is, I'm calling it, A Friend in Need is a Friend Indeed," because I found out myself, after I had had my accident, how family and friends rallied around. And I know, you know, as a young person, as a teenager, I take it, that must have been something that was tough for you to see your buddy go through, but the fact that you were able to uh to gather the strength with your friends and, and family to to help him out and make him still feel like he was a part of the gang was, was a tremendous thing for uh for an yeah. early you know, early in your life.
1: Yeah, it was important to me. I remember, you know, my grandfather had a stroke um when I was young and I was thirteen. So when I went back to visit Danny it was where my grandfather was it was the same hospital, same doctor, mm-hmm. same everything. So I remember seeing my grandfather try to go through recovery from stuff and I knew that Danny had a fight to get in front of him. Um, you know, and I wanted to make sure that he had a teammate and somebody that he could lean on a call if he needed to. So yes. that's kind of, you know, what I did and it's still what I do now for him and many others. Yes. I mean,
0: now, I know you, you mentioned in passing about um, about your accident. Take us down to Martinique in that fateful day that changed your life back in
1: 1988. So I was in uh, Club Met on vacation with my friend Gil, and uh, they had a picnic where they take you on, and there were a couple of buses that were going to the beach that day, and we were on a bus, and it was a bunch of us, my friend Gil and Wendy, who Gil's now married to, and My friend Kelly and a couple other people, and we were on one bus, and uh, we were told by the individuals, um, you know, don't go into the water. Uh, You know, they didn't say a word to us actually. The other buses that were there were told, don't go in the water. Immediately, there's a little bit of like rough currents to, you know, take it slow. We'll let you know when to go in. We got to the beach, and like you would on any Caribbean vacation, you get to the beach and you want to jump into the blue water and I jumped into the blue water and it was not in very much time and it was rough. And I remember Adam's sister was right next to me and, um, you know, she had a tough time getting out and, you know, by the time I tried to get out, the undertow pulled my feet out from underneath me. It flipped me over my head hit the floor and I heard my neck snap uh. and I was under the water for about, I'd say a minute and a half or two minutes. I, I was holding my breath. I think, Probably most of my friends, you know, I mean Gil, I was really there with, you know, um, I don't know what was, what he saw, but you know, I I was floating face down and I saw my life flash in front of me and life, everything got very quiet and I couldn't really hold my breath any longer and I tried to drink as much water as I can and, um, you know, then, then they pulled me out and all mayhem happened and it was weird. I started to, you know, I, I grabbed control very quickly, um, knowing what I learned from Danny. I remembered that there was a a, a bench, like a, you know, like a, a, a lunch bench and to get me onto something flat. Yes. And, I, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want to get bumped around and I, you know, I knew all that kind of stuff, but then also I had a lot of water in my lungs and stuff along those lines and so on. So it was a little bit of mayhem. Um, I definitely remember Joe and I, and our, were, you know, almost, you know, just being who cool, the two of us are. Uh, we were signing lines from Fletch. You know, it was just, it's it all ball bearings, and <laughs> we we're get Dr. Rosen Rosen. Yes, the Beatles right White like, Album. Yes, the Beatles White Album. Yes. The whole thing. So, the best. Um, we, you know, I, I, I tried to, you know, make make it the best of everything. This happened on a Saturday. Uh, like I told you, my parents were orthodox. So I get zipped off to the airport, uh, to the hospital and you know, then Gil ended up coming a little bit later. I'm gonna get into the hospital and the doctor pulls up on a motorcycle. Oh boy. And I'm in Martinique and I'm like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and this is, you know, I I you know, I was in Stonel shock and I was in a third world country. So uh, they end up, you know, putting a halo on me uh, immediately, and they wanted to do surgery on I me, and I did not want to get operated on in my Yes. And Gil ended up coming in with a couple, of, you know, Wendy and Kelly, and um, they were trying to get in with my parents. My parents were not answer the phone because it was the Sabbath. So oh, Gil ended up Gil, Gil ended up having to reach out to somebody else. Uh, he knew where my family business was and reached out to the store manager and said, I had an accident. You need to go knock on the door and get in touch with his parents. is really, really important. And, you know, my parents got many phone calls of me growing up uh, being at the Lennox Hill emergency Room for, you know, brokenness or something along those lines. And this one was a little bit different.
0: This one was a little um, bit different, yeah. No uh,
1: doubt. Yeah, it was a little bit different. And then my parents called... You know Danny's par- uh, father, and Danny's father got in touch with Dr. Ball Green down at the Miami Project at the University of Miami, and they sent an air ambulance down to Martinique to get me the next day. Um, when they got there, I'll oh, never forget it. Um, my halo was actually screwed on backwards, so oh, they unscrewed it and re it. And then I got airlifted up to um, James O'Hare. I'll never forget the guy's name. He had the most gentle hands that he took care of me from getting, you know, out of Martinique up to Jackson and uh, he was an amazing man and, um, you know, he got me up here and then I was in the ICU, you know, my parents started to come down and friends started to come down right uh, to see me. Um, I got hurt. I got up to Jackson on January 3rd. Uh, I did not have my surgery until Uh, January 25th because I had so many complications from all the water I swallowed and just things that were going on with fevers and normal stuff that happens in the beginning so I actually got operated on my my 21st birthday
0: oh what a nice present for yourself right
1: yeah what a great great gift
0: oh good Um,
1: so that's you know that was my acting, and that's how kind of it all started and then you know five months of rehab down in Jackson and then eventually back up to New York City um, you know where I was for a while.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, now you mentioned rehab. Do you think Alan being so active and athletic beforehand, in some ways and, prepared? Know, did my, yeah, did it prepare you for the rigors of PT and OT, which you and I both know is no joke?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was focused on strength. It's like I, oh, I just wanted to get as strong as I can to take care myself. You know, having a C five C six. Like an incomplete quad. Um, you know, I, I remember going and I told the story yesterday, actually, to, uh, you and I discussed it, is, you know, my hospital therapist said, well, what do you want to learn from this? And I said to play the piano. And said, Did you <laughs> do that before? And I said, no. <laughs> so, like, she knew that she was dealing with, her, you know, as a quad, I wanted to get strong and be independent. I wanted, I didn't want it to be taken care of. I wanted to figure out how to take care of myself. And, It was a big grind, and it didn't happen in the very beginning. um, But I I was strong. But I was, you know, when you're, what what we all go through and the surgeries and the UTIs and the stuff in the beginning, you know, it's a fight. Every day is a fight. Every day from then on is a fight. And um, I was ready for it. I wanted to get to the gym, but there were certain days where my body just said, you're not going, and you just have to suck it up then. Um, you know, trying to balance that and balance the feelings of your family members and your friends. Uh, back then, there was no cell phones. Yep. You know, there was no, there was no internet. There was no, you, were, you know, it, you were trying to figure out how to communicate. So it was very lonely. Yep. Um, and then, you know, my friends would come and visit me. You know, it was not for a long period of time because I was, you know, I was in the ICU and they were only, I that in a little bit, at a time, and I was not mostly out of it uh, on and off, but had a good time all the way through. I hate to say it, lots of you know friendships have been made. I'm still playing with a lot of my nurses from the doctors, from the you know from the ICU, um, and from the rehabs. Uh, my physical therapist is still my go-to physical therapist, um, but it's on the individual to yeah. um, develop the strength to push. Um, no doubt. And fight. And I, I was one of those guys that wanted to do that. I had things in my mind that I wanted to do, which were marathons and, you know, proving a point and living on my own and, you know, doing what I can. And, you know, as a quad, you know, I have great, you know, sometimes I say super quad, whatever that means. A quad a quad to me, but, uh, you know, I don't have great hands, but I have you know I did 45 minutes swimming in the pool this morning Mm -hmm. and you know and and working out. you know so just figure it out and then I came back to New York and I went up to Mount Sinai Hospital and Dr. Ragnarsson moved to there and I was doing outpatient therapy there like crazy and you know they said well quad can't get up on RGO braces that doesn't work and I said that doesn't make a difference if it doesn't work I'm doing it and I did that I wanted to stand up within a year and I did terrific Um, And I put carefully goals on myself. Um, But then I had setbacks. Sure. I had a couple of searing. I had a couple of surgeries where I had scar tissue in my neck and was losing function and weird things were going on. Sure. Not a smooth ride, but it's a ride. Yes, Um, it is. um, But I've learned to make great friends over this time. And I, you know, I feel that God, you know, picked me for a reason. And that reason is to help as many people as I possibly can.
0: That's a great whether it's outlook. Their
1: families, whether it's their families, their, you know, their communities, whoever that is. And I mean, you know, just to give you a quick, you know, right before, you know, you called me, I had to put you on hold at the beginning. Um, I was on the phone with a police officer in Las Vegas because on June, June 1st, there was a uh, Las Vegas police officer who was shot in the neck. Um, during everything that's been going on lately. And he is now a club. So we at the Reeve Foundation, you know, reached out and we make sure we get in touch with these people early. And we're going to set up a support system and help them get organized. And this is what we do and what I do yes. on a daily basis. This is not my job. This is what I do as being somebody that's been through it and want to lead by example.
0: To give back, right, Alan? To give back. That's pay it
1: forward and teach all the guy all the guys that I mentor and help out and you know, whether it's Eric Legrand or Nike Nichols or whether you know Christopher is around or Yes. You know, whoever these people are, I you know, we need to be a better community. We need to be more together because it's strength in numbers and with everything going on in the world post pandemic and uh, we're in the middle of the pandemic. You know, the word inclusion has been a great buzzword for advertising people. So that, that word needs to now be turned into access. Yes. And real, real access and change. And you know, you and I like we should be able to go to a doctor's house and be able to get onto to doctor's table so we can actually get checked out. We should be able to go to places and transfer and matter of things easily, as opposed to it to be difficult on us and everything to be a huge ordeal in the medical world where the medical world should, you know, embrace us because the more they help us, the more we live, the better quality of life we have, the better we are, the you know, the better we can all be. So um, you know, Absolutely. I hope that the new I hope that the new normal will build us into their system as opposed to, you know, the ADA tries to fit us into the world. And I don't know if you had a chance to watch the movie Quick Camp yet, but you know that was the beginning of a movement, and now you know we have to make sure as a community that our move uh, that, our, that we stay relevant, mm-hmm. and that and that we are, you know, that we push forward. Yes, uh, together, yep. together.
0: Now I see and
1: I feel. I see,
0: Alan, that, that you moved to the Sunshine State 22 years ago. Now, was part of that for the warm weather? I know living here in the Northeast is not exactly yeah. conducive for my muscle spasticity, I, I, and tone. Does does the warm weather in Florida keep you limber and loose?
1: It, it, it enticed me. I mean, obviously, I did my rehab down here originally. Um, and then I started to come down here every winter anyway, even when I was working for uh, swim fast or whatever companies I was working for. I would come down here for a couple of months just because New York was rough, um, getting around in a wheelchair, you know, I'd pushing around and trying to get parking spots and rain and snow and everything along those lines. I remember the winter of 1987 was a disaster, and I said I had to get out of here. And I thankfully was able, you know, I was hired by Wayne Hysaya at the Florida Marlins. I met Jim Ross in 1997, Uh, and I worked for the Florida Marlins that year. And I ran uh, the community relations department, and uh, worked with a lot of players. And we got lucky and won the World Series that year. Yes. So I got my ring. So I got my ring.
0: Tremendous. take that all day long. Yes, yeah, I'm sure you will. Uh, who Who else has a World Series ring? I don't know anybody else that has one. That's, uh, that's an amazing yeah. accomplishment. I have to tell you, Alan, I was an outpatient at Kessler back when Christopher Reeve was admitted, and I remember that there were paparazzi flying around in helicopters over the building, and some photographers were also perched in tree stands with telephoto lenses trying to get their first pictures of Superman in a wheelchair, and I remember that that was awful to say the least can you please tell us about your relationship with the man and what working for the christopher and dana reeve foundation means to you uh being the director of public impact
1: so um you know i developed a relationship with christopher after his accident you know kind of the same way i do with anybody you know people reach out to us they're looking for information they don't know what to do i um Obviously got a call and was put in touch with Dana. Uh obviously Chris wasn't, you know, talking very much then. Uh, it was the very beginning and just started to reach out to her and let her know that we were here for her and um let her know what was gonna be going on and how to try to get organized with finding help and what you're gonna need and so on. And then Chris and I later when he was able to start communicating, he used to talk a couple of times a month. Um and just, you know, he would ask a lot of questions and, you know, he wanted to know what we were thinking about cures and, you know, he had this determination with him to, he wanted it out of his chair so badly um, and he wanted to help all of us. And I think the world would be completely different for the spinal cord injury community right now. Obviously, we still had Christopher and Dana with us. Um, I think that he would roll down and knock on doors. and not take no for an answer and corporate America be, would be more involved with us and so on uh, but we ended up having a special relationship because we used to go to New York Ranger games together and we used to um, you know sit there in the corner of the garden and, and enjoy the games and Will at that point in time was five or six years old and I remember him used to he used to stand on my feet to uh you know, to look over the boards and that's where we spent a lot of time really talking also was underneath in the bottom of the garden. Yeah. Um and hockey was very important to Christopher, uh, because Will loved to play and something that he was still able to do is go and watch Will skate and do things along those lines. So yeah. we had a great relationship and then, you know, we honored him one year to a golf tournament. Um so, you know, he was always helping out the community and really being there. And, so Dana very quietly in the background was making sure that everything was moving uh, along. And she had this vision. I remember sitting next to her at a couple of like medical symposiums and listening to medical research. And she really wanted, you know, to take care of the, of Christopher and the community. And the Reeve Foundation, if you look at our, um, you know, our, our, our tagline, today's take care, tomorrow's cure. That's partially Christopher and partially Dana. Yeah. You know, today's care is the paralysis resource center where we're giving out information to individuals and we have information sessions that are helping families in the here and the now, whether it's right when they get hurt or, you know, way down the road, you know, people that are hurt 10, 15, 20 years out. Yes. And all, and, and all, and all their resources are free. Yes. We also have, um, our peer mentoring groups also give out quality-of-life grants every year where uh, other not-for-profits could apply for grants up to $25,000 for different equipment or programs that they're doing in their local communities. Uh, we were doing advocacy on the Hill to make sure that the foundation is obviously, um, you know, and, and the community is making sure that we are, you know, we are on people's minds and we're getting things taken care of that we need to for our wheelchair equipment for our nurses, for our own healthcare for whatever it is to keep us going. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have all the research. Um, you know, some of the great stuff that's going on right now is uh, the big idea, which is, you know, the epidural stimulation. And we've seen unbelievable results out of, you know, Rob Summers has been all over TV, and, you know, Dustin and a whole bunch of the other guys. And, um, you know, I really actually spoke to, a uh, female patient who was implanted two weeks ago, and she starts on Monday, and I can't wait to see what happens with her. It's going to be That's awesome. So that all know, benefits all of us right now. Yeah, that benefits all of us. These people are putting their lives on the line. Yes, for us. Yes, and you know, I'm keeping right now. It's about you and I keeping our bodies healthy, keeping our minds healthy, especially during this pandemic. Um, you know, and. Making sure that when the time comes that they find some of these treatments for spinal cord injury, that our bodies are in tune and ready for, um, you know, what these treatments are going to be. Yes. I don't think it's going to be a magic bullet that's going to come out and fix all of us at once. You know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, bowel, bladder, temperature control, you know, sexuality, all these different things that we all deal with that people don't see are things that, uh, you know, the the, the, the stimulators are helping. Mm -hmm. And those are little things that psychologically help us every day. Yes. Um, So, um, you know, I think that our time is still yet to come. It's you know, I think that the like I said, the world is changing and hopefully that you know the spinal cord community really gets a chance to um you know be seen and be uh and, and be relevant because we are just in chairs. The individual the chair is just our vehicle. Yes. It's not who we are as individuals. Exactly. There's 5.6 million people living with some sort of paralysis in this country, and there's uh, that's strokes, spinal cord injury, MS, TBI, um, and then there's about you know 1.3 million that are living with spinal cord injury. Mm-hmm. And you know during this time, just to keep it relevant to where we are, you know we're all living through a hard times with this pandemic. Um, but if you look, I've been saying this a lot. If you look at the word paralysis. In the dictionary, one of the meanings is a state of helpless stoppage, inactivity, or inability to act. And I think that on my January second, on the date that you got hurt, on the date that Scott says me got hurt, and Eric and Mikey and Denon, you know, we all were all Danny. You know, we all have a name, but we all had that one day where everybody said to our family and our friends, "Hold on for a second. You're gonna have to stop and regroup." The world is living that right now as a whole. Mm -hmm. And they're going to start to slowly move again. We have to make sure that us as a paralysis community moves with that because we're still going to be in these chairs. But we have to make sure that we're not left behind. Exactly. And um, I think that's an important note
0: for all of us. It certainly is. Alan, tell us about Inside Sports, the (laughs) Zoom event presented by the Reeve Foundation that's coming up tomorrow night.
1: So tomorrow night, for an event, you guys log on. We're using kind of a little bit of a Father's Day diversion. Uh, People looking for gifts to get out for the Thursday, or just for kids that are looking for a little inside sports. Um, My background, I have a lot of, you know, I I was an agent at one point in time, so uh, I know a lot of guys in the sports world. Tomorrow night, we are going to have hosted by Bruce Beck of NBC New York, who has been phenomenal to... Me, my family, and the Lee Foundation and the Altony Brown, uh, you know, fund forever will be hosting the evening. We have Sam Rosen from Madison Square Garden and Fox Sports, who so, so with the New York Rangers and does football. Um, we have Iron Eagles from the New Jersey Nets, from CBS, and little tennis and golf. Iron does he's the voice of the NBA as well. The Bird. Adam Sheffield, the Birdman. Yeah. And then, uh, and then. You know, and then and then Adam Schefter from ESPN. So it's eight o'clock tomorrow night. www. forward slash sports It's fifty dollars, and you'll be able to come in. You can type your question up when you register, and we're going to take a bunch of questions, and we're really going to give people some inside look into what's going on in the world of sports, of how things are changing, how these guys' lives have changed. You know, they've been living on the road. They've been sports forever. And, you know, their world has changed and, you know, how are they going to be broadcasting going forward and uh, things along those lines. So we're going to be getting a little bit of an inside scoop as to what's going on. And we're, you know, throwing out there. we hope some people will join us.
0: It's terrific. And tell our listeners again how they can access
1: this. org forward slash sports
0: outstanding and lastly alan i like to ask all of my guests this question if i could snap my fingers right now which unfortunately i cannot do and haven't been able to do for almost 28 years now Uh, yeah (laughs) but if i were able to and and you were completely able-bodied after that snap what is the first thing that you would do
1: i would put on my hockey skates and i would go i i dying to skate and put on my hockey pants again put Bandy's broken goal have my kids with me uh, skate down the ice and just blast one right over his shoulder <laughs> that's kind of all that's kind of all I really need
0: to top do. shelf yeah <laughs> Uh, uh, top shelf right over, bam. That's totally. unbelievable. You know, it's funny, you you mentioned that I had Mikey Nichols on a few weeks back and obviously that was gonna be what he would say, right? He was gonna slap on some skates and head out on the ice. There you
1: go.
0: Unbelievable. You, go. Because, you know,
1: so you know, I remember so Bruce Back is the one that got me in touch with Mikey because he got he did a story on the news that night. And then I remember many, many nights on the phone with Steve that Mikey's father Um, in when he was in Morristown in the hospital and getting him through there. And, you know, like Mikey and I and Eric and Scott and you, you name it, You, you know, we are part of a fraternity that we did not ask to join. But we are going to make sure that this fraternity keeps on going forward.
0: Eric Stratton, Rush Chairman. Damn glad to meet you in that fraternity, right? Hundred <laughs> percent. Little Animal House reference there. Well, Alan, I want to <laughs> thank you again for joining me today, and please keep up doing. And don't, the, and don't forget about the dean. That's, right, that's right. That's <laughs> right, Dean Warmer. Yes. <laughs> please keep doing all the tremendous work uh, and outreach that you do for the spinal cord community, because it benefits us all in the end. And uh, again, thank you for coming on with us today.
1: That's my and if anybody ever needs any help, please reach out to the Re Foundation and our Research Center and uh, feel free to reach out to me as well. We're, you know I'm here to help any way that
0: I can. We're all in this together, right, Alan.
1: You got it, my man. Team Absolutely. Mate. Thank you very much again Mate. for joining us.
0: My pleasure. And that is all the time we have this week, my friends. Thank you again to Alan Brown for your time and contributions to the spinal cord injured community. We have some exciting shows on the horizon. For an episode I'm calling Going to the Dogs, I will be speaking with folks from Canine Companions for Independence to find out exactly how that wonderful organization came about and how they prepare and, in time, pair service dogs with worthy recipients. Then I will be talking with a graduate of the program, no, not the dog, to find out exactly how having the Canine Companion can change a life. As we all know, finding a job for able-bodied people is not easy, especially in this day and age. But for disabled folks, it is that much harder. Be on the lookout for a back-to-work program in which I will talk with one of the top vocational directors in the field to find out just what it takes for her to get people in our community gainfully employed again. And in a major coup for the quadcast, My first doctor at Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and the current senior medical officer of the West Orange Campus, as well as the director of spinal cord injury program at Kessler, Dr. Stephen Kirschblum will be my guest. This is a big one for me, and it will be an honor and pleasure to speak to one of the top minds in the field in the world. And don't forget about the Todd Leonard Show this Sunday morning from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. on 1250 WMTRAM Radio, where yours truly will be on the hot seat. Please do check out my spiffy new website at www.quadcast.org. And thank you again to Chris Parapezco at Sound Lounge in New York City for making me sound so good. And until next week, I am John McAlevey, and I thank you for your time.